Now, we're in a short summer series on frail faith, and if we're honest, frail faith is the only kind there is. I mean, it's called faith, right? (laughs) Not certainty. You have to trust for a reason, because often it's hard to trust. And if you read the scriptures, you'll notice that the saint's faith is always frail. It's always tenuous. So I'm about to read you a story about the prophet Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, and I want you to notice just how crummy Elijah's faith is. So if you ever felt your faith is like that, take heart. You're in good company. Hear this word from the book of Kings. Elijah came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there was by his head some bread baked over coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. (laughs) The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we don't have much faith. And what we have is pretty paltry. We would like more. Would you grow faith in us where we can't grow it ourselves? For all good things come from you. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. There's a story about Mother Teresa being asked by a journalist what she says when she prays. And she would seem like a good person to ask. Winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, honored by Christians and Muslims and Hindus alike across India and the world for her care for the poor and the dying. She might have been the most famous woman in the world besides the queen and maybe like Madonna in the early 80s. And so that was funny. (laughs) 
And so she says to the journalist, uh, when I pray, I don't say anything. I listen. And the journalist says, cool, all right, so when you listen, what does God say? And she said, God doesn't say anything. God listens. <laughs> and now he was really confused, but she was having fun with this. And so she finished him off by saying, and if you can't understand that, I can't explain it to you. <laughs> Silence. It's the prerequisite for listening to God or for listening to anything or to anyone. I've tried to visit monasteries before to learn how to pray better. And I go there and I pray for everything I can think of, everyone who needs help, and I'm out in about 20 minutes. And I think, I'm supposed to be here all week. What do these monks do? What's the Wi-Fi signal? What happens when you get silent with God is first you're not used to it, and so you get really bored. And then you stay bored. And then you're bored longer. <laughs> but silence is not boredom. You gotta push beneath the boredom to the silence where God dwells. And I think this is why our world is so noisy. We're terrified of boredom. Because if you're bored, you might actually ask yourself a question like, is this all there is to life? I mean, is this everything I was hoping it was? Because it's a little disappointing. You gotta be brave enough to go into that space and go deeper still to the silence where God will meet you not with answers, but with his own presence. Elijah the prophet learns about silence in this story, and it includes one of the best known verses in the whole Bible about the still, small voice in which God speaks. But I think it's helpful to look at the whole of Elijah's life. His time as a prophet includes great miracles and wondrous pyrotechnics and amazing things. Bono from U2 calls the Old Testament the Hollywood blockbuster of the Bible. They're like explosions and there's violence and there's sex scenes and like it's definitely not appropriate for the youth group, right? Well, if that's true, then Elijah is the Old Testament of the Old Testament. Louder, bolder, more bombastic. And so the best verse we have about silence anywhere in the Bible comes from its loudest book. I can't explain that to you. I'm just telling you what I see. So Elijah goes to meet with God, and first there's a violent wind. It crushes rock, and God's not in the wind. And then there's a natural disaster. We can imagine here in this part of the world, there's an earthquake, and God's not in the earthquake. And then there's a fire. God, please preserve us from fire season this summer. But God's not in the fire. And after the fire there's that still small voice. Now I looked up some other translations and there are lots of them. These words are hard to translate from Hebrew. So some of the other translations are a low murmuring sound, the sound of a gentle breeze, the soft whisper of a voice. Those all sound kind of pleasant, right? Well, here's one that sounds a little more scary to me. The sound of sheer silence. After the earthquake and the wind and the fire, there's nothing. Someone wise called silence the sacrament of the kingdom. If you wanna meet God, spend time in silence because that's where God works. 
Someone else wise said, if you can't improve upon the silence, then there's no good reason to speak. (laughs) Good advice. Now, I know it's ironic for me to be up here with a microphone artificially magnifying my voice for 25 minutes chattering away about silence. I'm aware it's rank hypocrisy, please forgive me. But trust me, silence is cool. Go find you some. Curl up in it. God will meet you there. Thank me later. Now you may know that in England they don't really have the separation of church and state that my country, the US, is so proud of. Technically, you guys don't have it in Canada either. You just consume too much American news and entertainment. So you think it's a thing, it's not a thing in Canada. Anyway, it's definitely not a thing in Britain. And so pastors and priests get invited into public schools to talk about God. Now, it sounds cool, because you got people hungry for good news, but this is terrifying if you're a public speaker. Because these are teenagers, they're against their will, not happy about it, and they spend the whole time being hostile and making fun of you. Not what you want to do if it's your time. One friend of mine got around the problem this way. He goes in there and he says, okay, I want us to enter into silence together. And at first they make fun of him and they're noisy and the phones are going off, but eventually they settle down into it. And if you can imagine 500 teenagers silent together, Here's why he does that. He doesn't preach a sermon. He doesn't moralize or patronize them. He trusts that God will speak to them in the silence. Because that's what God does. Speak to us in silence. And just for once, some hostile teenagers might get the idea that religion isn't just stupid and cruel, that there's something there, right? Faith is fed by silence. Silence is the rich soil in which faith takes root. Silence is the deep ocean where wonders dwell. Silence, there's no way around it to meet God. Okay, so silence. But there's more than silence in this story. Elijah has just come off his greatest success as a prophet. He's had this massive public encounter with 400 priests of Baal, false god. And they had this big contest, which god could end a drought? And the Lord God of Israel wins. That's the high point of Elijah's life and career. But then he kills the defeated 400 prophets and priests of Baal. God doesn't tell him to. Elijah just does it. Car crashes and fight scenes, like Bono said, right? Then Elijah hears the wicked queen Jezebel wants to kill him, and he's terrified. So he skedaddles, slinks off in misery, he's burnt out and depressed. Now, I just want you to notice how odd this is. Elijah, Israel's greatest prophet, has his greatest success, and now he's the most miserable he's ever been. And I just wonder if you've experienced that. If you actually get the thing you're working for, it can be really disorienting. Like, why do I exist now if this thing I've always wanted is in hand? That's what happens to Elijah. I heard the great Jeremy Lin speak here in Vancouver at an evangelistic event, and he talked about how he had played basketball. Let's see if I can get this right. He played with Kobe Bryant against LeBron James and for Michael Jordan. (laughs) And he said, I can tell you what these three great players all have in common. They're all haunted by the achievements they will never gain. 
If you listen to MJ on that Last Dance documentary, he is sure that they would have won a seventh championship if only they'd have listened to him. And now he'll never win it. Kobe thought more about the rings he never won than the ones he did. Braun is still chasing them. And so Lynn said, I gotta tell you, the people who've accomplished the most in my field are most obsessed by what they haven't accomplished. Now, I thought this next quote came from someone cool like Aristotle. It didn't, but bear with me. It's about Alexander the Great and how when he conquered everything there was, he wept, for there was no one else to conquer. <laughs> now, it doesn't come from Aristotle. It comes from the villain in Die Hard, Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman. But that doesn't mean it's not true. The point is that if you feed on success, eventually you'll go hungry. Frail faith. There's good company there. And look here. Elijah gets prompts for faith you and I don't normally get. He lies down depressed and an angel makes food for him, wakes him up, he eats, and he goes back to sleep. The angel wakes him up again, gives him more angel food, Right? Then he gets ushered into the presence of God and God face to face asks him, Elijah, what do you need? Now, I don't know about you, but when my faith is weak, I don't usually get angel food, special ordered for me. I don't usually get placed on Mount Sinai where God met Moses with a promise of lightning. And th You get what I'm saying? And here's what Elijah says. He's miserable. He still doesn't believe. His words, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets. I am left and they are seeking to take my life. I've done my best and it didn't work and I'm out and I am done. Whiny Elijah. Now he's wrong, by the way. He's not the only prophet left. There are hundreds of prophets left. But when you're in that woe is me place, you feel like you're all by yourself, right? And it's no good telling someone who's depressed, here are all the reasons you shouldn't be depressed. It never works, right? You should just sit with them and pray and feel their sorrow. So God puts on this fireworks show. And when it's over, God asks him again, Elijah, what do you need? Gave you the earthquake, the wind, the fire, the silence, what else? And Elijah repeats himself word for word. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets. I am left there seeking my life to take it away. In other words, all of those pyrotechnics made no difference whatsoever. Elijah is exactly the same as he was before. But then look here. God still gives him work to do. You would think a prophet without faith, blood on his hands, burnt out, fearful, would be useless to God. Nope. He might actually be perfect for God's service. Now, this is good news for any of us who struggle with faith, and I'm guessing that's all of us. God doesn't wait for us to get our act together to work through us. Because if God did, God would never work through us. They like to say in the black church where I come from, God writes straight with crooked lines. God writes straight with crooked lines. And that's good because all God has is like losers and failures like us to work through. I get to talk to a lot of churches all over the world and I've noticed something. Churches that feel confident, full of faith, 
not worried about the future. Hey, look, we got plenty of people and the budget is full and everything is fine. I worry about them. Because like, what do they need the resurrection for, right? Like Jesus would come back and they would just keep having church the same way as before. But churches that are worried about their future, that aren't sure the way forward, that aren't sure if there is a future, I feel hope for them. Because their only hope is the resurrection, which is actually the only hope we ever have as Christians that's worth having. This is the same with people. If you are cocksure confident, like you've read all of God's files and you've got them in your back pocket, then I'm worried about you because only idols fit in back pockets. But if your faith is frail, tenuous, uncertain, then you're right where God wants you. For God is only God on a cross. Elijah's at his worst when he's spiking the football after his touchdown with the priests of Baal. And he's arguably at his best when he's being his whiny, depressed self in God's presence. It's weird, I know, happens to be true. There's a scene from a Steve Martin movie. I kind of wanted to play it in here, but it was the wrong vibe, so you can go look it up. And Steve Martin is a widower, and he wants to get married again, and so he wants to ask his old wife's permission. So he goes and stands in front of her portrait. It's a little unorthodox, but it's Hollywood. And he says, honey, I really want to marry this woman. If you don't want me to, give me a sign right now. And the picture starts to shake, and the lights turn off and on, and the picture starts to whirl around, and this voice screams, no! And Steve Martin says, any old sign will do, just anything, I'm ready. Why is this picture crooked all of a sudden? <laughs> I mean, that's us. God's world is shot through with signs, and we're usually oblivious until God opens our eyes, and we can see. There's something else in this story. Elijah is recreating the story of Israel. He eats miraculous food like his ancestors did in the wilderness. He wanders 40 days in the desert like they did 40 years. He goes to a cave in a mountain like Moses did. There's thunder and lightning like there was on Mount Sinai. Elijah, like his ancestor Moses, spend most of their time as leaders in Israel complaining, whining. And what do they complain about? Their followers, right? What do their followers complain about? their leaders. So those of us who are whiners in church, we are in good company, right? Okay. God only has whiners to work through. Elijah is representing in his story the entire history of Israel, from slavery in Egypt to wandering through the wilderness to eating miraculous food to meeting God on the mountain. And then on the mountaintop, he's like Steve Martin. He can't see God right in front of his face despite the earthquake and the wind and the fire and the silence. That journey from slavery to freedom to wandering to whining, that's a journey we all go through again and again in our life of prayer. Sometimes when we pray, we feel like we're enslaved. It's not working, we're in chains. Sometimes we're hungry and thirsty wandering in the desert. Sometimes we're like slaves who've been sprung free and escaped miraculously through the sea. I say sometimes because that doesn't happen enough. I sort of wish prayer was like that all the time, 
But it's not, is it? Is your marriage like that all the time? No, no one could survive it. Prayer is like that. It goes through all these different feelings and usually we don't feel the way we wish we would in prayer. And then silence. What this teaches us is that feelings, although they can tell us something, they're ephemeral. They don't last. They change fast. Don't overly worry about your feelings before God. Silence before God is a sign of maturity in prayer. Because what it means is God doesn't have to rush up and reassure us all the time like some sort of anxious boyfriend. Yeah, I totally still love you. We're good, right? Silence means you're growing in maturity with God. You're becoming more like an old married couple that don't have to speak anymore because they already know each other's stories, right? They can finish each other's sentences. The silence between them is warm, not cold. And when I see a couple like that, I just want hands that feel like that (laughs) and a face that's that radiant. That's the kind of mature faith God is moving us into by the Holy Spirit. And so the more you experience silence in prayer, the more mature your faith is growing. Trust me. And when you feel like God is far, and you will, go back and recreate the basics like Elijah does. So think of your baptism. I think we're having baptisms in this service today, although Craig Pagans has been raptured, so I'm not sure. Baptisms today? Earlier, four, later, good, baptisms. I'll make sure you're there when I cue you next time. What's amazing about baptism is that Craig will not ask, how do you feel? Nope. Craig will say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and maybe hold you down a little too long. (laughs) Then you'll feel something, right? The point with baptism is you can't ever be unbaptized. (laughs) After it happens, you're on team Jesus, because he doesn't go back on his promises, Here's another basic to go back to. Pray before you turn your phone on in the morning. Now, I know this is hard. If you don't have your phone on, it feels like you don't have your trachea working. I get it, right? But all the emails and the bad news will be there and will hunt you down later. Pray first with your best attention before you eat or drink or even brew coffee. I know that's asking a lot, but it can be done. Here's another basic, the Lord's Supper. When we come up here in a minute, the person won't ask how we feel. They will say, this is Jesus, broken for you, bleeding for you, digest this, and he'll digest you. All of these great mysteries of faith work despite our feelings, right? They don't stop and check with our feelings and only then become effective. It doesn't work like that. And if you don't hear God audibly speak into your life, don't worry. The saints of old have heard, and they have written down what they heard in the Bible. You know, if we hear from God too often, the therapist has a few questions, right? And anyway, lots of the greatest saints wish they could hear from God, and they don't. Mother Teresa spent decades with no word of consolation from God in prayer, no warmth from God. And you just know that she was saying things like, God, I changed my whole life because I heard your voice on a train in Albania, came all the way to India and won a Nobel Prize. Can you at least tell me at a girl once in a while? Nothing. 
It's a sign of maturity. No sign, no reassurance. If that's the place you're in, give thanks. It means God is working on you. God works like seeds do underground, in silence and in darkness, raising up a whole new world. Frederick Buechner tells a story of someone desperate to hear from God in some dramatic way. You might have been there, I know I have. So he goes out to listen, and he says, God, you do this sort of thing. I've read it in the Bible. You show up at places like Damascus and Emmaus and Mount Sinai. So he lies in a field, closes his eyes, and then Buechner writes this. Opening his eyes to suddenly the most superbly humdrum stand of neglected trees with somebody's shoe in the high grass and a broken ladder leaning and the dappled rot of last year's leaves is not exactly spiritually exciting. Please, he whispered. Still flat on his back, he stretched out his fists as far as they would reach. Please, and he opened them. Palms up, held there as he watched for something, for the air to cleave, fold back like a tent flap, let a little splinter through. Please, please. Two apple branches struck together with the limber clack of wood on wood. That was all, a tick-tock rattle of branches. But then a fierce lurch of excitement at what was only daybreak, only the smell of summer coming, only starting back for home again. But oh, Jesus, he thought, with a great lump in his throat and a crazy grin, it was an agony of gladness and beauty and falling wild and soft like rain. Just clack, clack. But praise him, he thought. Praise him. If you went out in any of our forests right now, you would hear two branches clacking together, wouldn't you? It doesn't exactly seem like fire and lightning on Mount Sinai, but it is. That's the ordinary, silent way God speaks. It's a miracle that you're there at all to hear it. It's a miracle that our world exists at all for there to be apple branches and the three little bones in your ears and a you to witness the whole thing. Now Elijah gets more than that. Fire and lightning and an earthquake, but it doesn't add up to anything. You and I usually just get apple trees banging together and that's enough, that's enough. God loves to speak in unassuming ways. Now, when you turn to the New Testament, Elijah's all over the place. John the Baptist is Elijah all over again. Jesus recreates Elijah's ministry with his ministry, miraculous feedings and healings and love for enemies. When Jesus is transfigured, Moses and Elijah appear talking to him. And the ancestors say Moses and Elijah symbolize the law and the prophets. They symbolize the young and the old, the living and the dead. Because see, Elijah never dies. He's just taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot. And I love thinking of that because you know in that fiery chariot, Elijah's like, God, I still don't believe in you. This isn't happening. This whole fiery chariot to heaven thing, I am not impressed, God, right? Elijah is a flawed person. He's miserable in victory He's zealous enough to kill unauthorized. He's confused enough not to see God when God is right there in front of his face doing miracles and tricks, cooking for him and talking to him and recreating Moses' experience. And here's why I love that. Because most of life is pretty ordinary, right? A lot of life is kind of disappointing. 
you can figure out a person by figuring out what they're presently disappointed by. Because that's true for every human being. Never met one for whom that's not true. I mentioned Bono, and I know I'm kind of the stereotype of the 50-year-old preacher bringing up a 60-year-old rock and roller thinking I'm being cool, but, you know, bear with me. I'm aware of Bono's grandparents' age now. So Bono says, in his native Ireland, when you see a rich guy in a mansion on a hill, you say, I'm going to get that guy. But in North America, you see a rich guy in a mansion on a hill, and you say, I want to be like that guy. <laughs> a little different. In this city, if you're a millennial and you see a rich person in a mansion on a hill, you say, am I ever going to own property? And the answer is, probably not. <laughs> most people I find are down on themselves most of the time. And they wish things had turned out better or different. Don't feel bad about that. That's just being human. If you are discouraged like that, take heart. God gives us these stories for a reason. Elijah sees way more than you and I do, and he's massively more discouraged. And God works through him anyway. So you're in good company, Elijah's company, the company of all the angels and the saints. God is good whether we feel like it or not. That's what this story says. God claims us in our baptism, whether we remember it or are happy about it or not. Once you're baptized, there's no going back. You're on Team Jesus forever. Sorry, there's no way out. I wonder if I just talked the four people out of getting baptized later <laughs> in this service. If you find your faith is frail, take heart, because frail faith is the only kind worth having. And go find some silence. Wrap yourself up in it. You'll find that frail faith is actually really strong, that whispers can be as loud as earthquakes, and that God is really making all things new despite all evidence to the contrary. Amen. you pray with me? Gracious God, grant us your silence. Take our disappointment and provide us with your presence. And when we can't see you right in front of our face, be kind to us again, Lord, for we sure need it. In Jesus' name. Amen.